Hello, everyone. Welcome. You're listening to the Clarkson Ignite podcast, coming to you from the WTSC radio station in the Clarkson Student Center. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Matt. And I am Nick. And this podcast is a bi-weekly podcast meant to connect individuals across Clarkson's diverse community and give you, our listeners, interesting and unique content. Ultimately, our hope is that you can walk away from our episodes learning something new and valuable, something that will inspire. This week, we talked to Simone Cannon, class of 97. She is an extremely smart alumni dedicated to following her passion and exploring her authentic self. In the episode, we talked about her lengthy career at ExxonMobil, as well as her new venture as a founder and CEO of Melalina Organics. We also took the time to be introspective and understand what it means to be our own authentic self. Uh, It truly was one of the most unique conversations I've ever had. Extremely valuable, extremely enjoyable, uh, and we hope you like it just as much as we did. Listener mail. Today we have a repeat person for giving us a listener mail question. I'm going to go again with Griffin Curtis gave us a question today. It is, if there is a picture of a thousand words, how much is it worth? Matt, give it to me. Well, I mean, a picture is already worth a thousand words. So I'm going to go, I'm going to lean away from a uh, non-monetary definition uh, because, you know, if it's worth a thousand words, each word is probably one. So it's probably worth the thousand words originally worth that it was worth, if that makes any sense. So in a monetary point of view, are you all right? Yeah. All right. In a monetary point of view, though, okay. I would have to think that if it's worth a thousand words beforehand and you add the thousand words that are in there, you more have to multiply them. It's probably worth a thousand squared, which is one mm-hmm. million dollars. Mm-hmm. We did the math before we talked about this. Yeah, it's probably a million. And I'm just gonna say, you know, if you're just thinking about abstract art and the market for abstract art, it's, you know, quite powerful today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm there gonna are very obscure paintings that I could have drawn as a three-year-old. Yeah, that go for millions of dollars. The thing about abstract art and the value of art is art is valued based off of what you believe it is valued. Mm. So if I think a painting on the wall over there is worth 30 bucks, but a famous art vendor comes in here and says that it's $2,000, it's probably $2,000 because he knows like the market value. But the market value really is how much you value it as a person. Mm. But obviously, you being a a business tycoon had to value them <laughs> at money. Uh, I'm just saying, like, The question logically. had nothing to do with well, money. Well, no, but if you think about it, even alone, like, for someone to make a, a, a picture mm-hmm. that is a thousand words, there's got to be some rich dude that thinks that's hilarious and is like, I'm going to pay a million dollars for that. I think it was in reference to the word sense. So it's like... So you're not thinking monetarily? No. Either. I'm thinking that as an entirety, this picture includes all of the words. Mm. But usually a, d- a picture doesn't include words. A picture can include anything. And then it's a thousand words. I'm thinking no matter what, a picture's worth a thousand words. 
1,001. So you think, not 999, mm, 1,000 exactly. So you think its value doesn't change? Nope. No. Hmm. Fascinating. See, no, but here's here's a counter argument to that. If we're, if we're going to move away from money here and we're going to talk about uh, what it's worth intrinsically to people, every word has a meaning to each person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Following me here. There are synonyms to every word. Okay. There are alternate definitions for every word. There are many definitions for combinations of words, so depending on how those words are uh, arranged in this picture. They could have different value and different meanings to people. So, so therefore, I'm still going to stick with a million. I'm just going to change my units to words instead of uh, money. So dollars. what I'm getting from you is actually the more words per a picture, the more words it's worth. If if the picture is only words, then yes. Wow. A true genius. <laughs> if, <laughs> if the picture is of something and not words, then probably not. I'd say the more words, the less valuable it is. But if we're only talking, like you just put- We're a only bunch, talking about words. If you just put a bunch of words on a table- the more words that are there and the more creative you are the with more them, words it's worth. the more it's worth. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's my final answer. All right, lock it in. All right. Let us know what you think. Thank you. All right. Smoon, thank you. What brought you to Clarkson? Let's start there. Okay, so I came to Clarkson because I thought I lived in New Jersey at the time. And I thought it was 30 minutes across the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I was introduced to Clarkson because um, I actually went to a community college for two years at Middlesex County Community College in New Jersey. And my physics professor was doing some work with Clarkson University. And so when I it was time for me to transition into four-year college, um, he said, hey, you know, you're really good at engineering. Why don't you look at Clarkson? It's in New York. I'm like, oh, in New York, no <laughs> worries. You know, it's just across the bridge. He never told me any yeah. differently. And um, I never did a site visit because I was like, it's New York. I read upon the college, did all my research, great engineering university. So then I came up, packed up my stuff, got, got accepted to Clarkson, and I drove, and we drove, and we drove, and eight hours later... I arrived, <laughs> but um, the chemical engineering department was phenomenal. The engineer camp building was the place to be. Um, I wanted to go to a school that really um, was deep in science and engineering. Um, I felt like a scientist at heart, and Clarkson really did it. And I came in September where it wasn't cold mm-hmm. and there was no snow. You're like, like, you this can do is this. Not all bad. <laughs> That's how they get you. It's nice in the fall, but it's yeah. I was like, this is beautiful. I can study. It's so green, and then the winter came. Yeah, but that's around, how I got here. Around October, November, it really starts changing on you. All right. So, you were a chemical engineering student here. What other things that did you do while you were here? So, um, I was one of the starting class of the National Society of Black Engineers. Okay. And um, at the time, we were just trying to figure out how do we um, assimilate a lot of these um, kids that are coming from inner city New York up to the North Country, getting them 
um, really ingrained in what Clarkson University can offer um, in engineering and otherwise. And so we wanted to not only foster a club at school, but we also wanted to get it out to national societies that have larger career fairs, not just at Clarkson, to expose the students to right. it. And so um, I spent a lot of effort and time um, helping to build that organization. We won awards while I was at Clarkson, so that was um, really good. Um, and then I was also a part of AICHE. I was an honor student. Okay. And it's like, okay, you're an honor student, Phi Theta Kappa, naturally. I was mm-hmm. part of them. And then, oh, you're a chemical engineer, so a- AICHE. But, mm-hmm. you know, it really expanded my knowledge within not just engineering, but chemical engineering as well. So, unfortunately, I would say I didn't do the fun stuff just to do the <laughs> fun stuff. I did do clubs that um, was academically enhancing, but was also fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I relate to that a lot. It's Matt most, does a lot of that also. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I get to do the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, Nick's the fun one in the group. <laughs> so, how did this translate to your first job, if at all? Was it something that like you know you felt prepared for with your first job? Was there a huge learning curve? You know, is it something that you kind of were were looking at and said, okay, I was prepared for this? Did you go right to Exxon Mobil also? I did. So, um, if I may, just give you a little bit of backstory. Yeah. Um, one of the things um, that drove me to Clarkson as well um, was financial aid, um, mm-hmm. really good financial yeah. aid program. Yes. Um, but not only financial aid, but the fact that you were afforded um, corporate experience mm-hmm. while you were here. And um, on top of that, you were given money to go work for these corporations You know, while they gave you financial aid and an internship, and Mm -hmm. that was really, really super attractive. Mm. And so um, while I was here, I was able to get a whole year of corporate experience. Um, Considering I was a transfer student, and I I was here for two and a half years because I was a December grad, Mm -hmm. right? Within that two and a half years, I had one year of corporate experience. I worked for eight months for Energizer, and then another three and a half or so for Procter & Gamble. And um, so with that, I knew finding the right engineering job for me um, would have been uh, not an easy process, but it was enabled by what I learned at Clarkson. And so one of the things I did was I lived in the career center. You know, okay. I, I, mm-hmm. the career center was my life outside of studying. And um, one of the things I was able to do was to understand how to take the classroom learning into explaining to corporations what I can bring to the table. And with that, I knew I wanted to work for a company that chemical engineers rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to work for a company that, oh, chemical engineers can go in the lab and you can, you know, just tinker with your lab <laughs> stuff and then we'll take it to, you know, the finance or the marketing guys. And no, chemical engineers made decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, they would probably make the most money yeah <laughs> right? you can't forget the money element yeah that's why you come and here and so i <laughs> he's like that's why i came here <laughs> but um i had nine job offers mm. nine wow job mm. offers and and it, you know i'm not owing it all to my skills um but i owe it all to a combination of the career center had prepared me very well for interviewing for researching companies for understanding myself and what my attributes are to to give to a company beyond just engineering but as a good employee and then of course the market must have been good at that time but um with those job offers i wanted to be with a company 
that really wanted chemical engineers, that chemical engineers could be the next CEO. And at the time in 97, the CEO, Lee Raymond of ExxonMobil, was a PhD chemical engineer. I was like, yeah. easy, there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that means that I will be able to make the decisions I want to help the organization grow and to really be a force uh, for innovation and technology, which is what it kept you know, ExxonMobil brought to the table at the time. And that kind of led me to ExxonMobil. I chose that company solely because of that. And the fact that, it, you know, I started off in New Jersey, which after being in the North Country for almost three years, I was ready to go back oh, to. Yeah. <laughs> Would you, to where was it, Philly, that they have their headquarters in? No, they had it in Florham Park, New Jersey. That was their research and oh, really? engineering. Oh, okay. yeah. So I'd gotten two offers from them. I got one in the marketing division down in Houston. Okay. And then I got one in the research and engineering um, in Florham Park, New Jersey. Mm. And and it just was a no-brainer to me. It was good. I could stay home mm-hmm. um, and be in New Jersey. And it was engineering and science, which I always liked. Yeah. So that's where I started. Is that – you spent a long time there, right? 16 I years I did. Or something? A little bit over 16 years, yes. Okay. And were you in, like, a highly technical engineering-type role the whole time? We've heard on some of our episodes, like with Ken Visser, that there's – you know, eventually comes a point in – um, corporate America, where some of the engineers are looked to to kind of get some more business experience and kind of switch over to the other side, yeah. in quotes. Is that something that, you know, you felt the need to go do, or did you stay technical? Um, it was a little different at ExxonMobil, and if you look a lot, um, first of all, they're an awesome company. Mm. They were an awesome incubator for me to develop as a, a, a business person, as, a, as an engineer, as a person on a whole. It's a high integrity company. So I can't say anything you know, bad about that organization. But if you look now on LinkedIn and on the web and a lot of their ads, they have a lot of young people talking about, well, if I don't want to do this, you know, if I don't want to be you know, a process engineer for two years, I can go over here and I could you know, do marketing or I can do you know, sales, because the company's so large enough that they can afford you to do that. And so when I went into ExxonMobil, I knew I wanted to be a generalist. And at the time, that's what somebody told me it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to go, you know, create distillation columns, you know, my entire career, although I loved experimenting. To me, that was just a small part of what I wanted to learn or what I could do. And so I did research in engineering because I wanted to understand the fundamental base for the company and what drives the company and what drives innovation. And I wanted to travel. And so in research and engineering, the projects weren't in the US, the projects were globally. Oh. And so you were if you were put on a project, it was, you know, I worked in, in Melbourne, Australia, I worked in, in Sarnia, Canada, because that's where the project was. And so it gave me an opportunity to see the world, you know, within five years, it gave me an opportunity to understand the core engineering aspects yeah. um, of the company. But then after that, um, during that time period, I did my MBA because, you know, I've always loved science, but I always liked a little bit of the business aspects. And I found myself not feeling comfortable in the business aspect of the, you know, the discussions because I, you know, they always look to me for the technical answer. Yeah. And I was like, but I know what an ROI is or <laughs> yeah. I could do an MPV, but, yeah. you know, you're the tech. Let's let's sit on this team because you can really add value over here. And so I was like, OK, well, I don't like that box. So where can I move next that will get me out of that box that you're trying to put me in and I'm etching to get out of? And so I said, I want to go work for Refining and Supply, which is kind of their business logistics arm of their company. And um, 
that's kind of how my movement started. I really pushed to say I wanted to be here. And then after that, it was really my understanding with a lot of mentors and sponsors as to you want to be a generalist. The company wants this as a business needs, how we can marry those two. And so I jumped from, you know, refining and supply. Then I managed their marine organization in moving crude oil from Africa on big crude oil tanker ships. And then the company says, well, you're doing so good in this area. How about aviation? You know, and that's kind of how I ended up moving around the company and getting into sort of the business aspects only still always solving problems, which, mm. you know, people are like, well, you're a science and engineer, you know, or you stay technical, you always stay technical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's always base. numbers everywhere. Right? right. But what you do is you bring a wider um, understanding um, to the business piece of it. Yeah that with the marrying of the two great things happen. Yeah. You're a problem solving uh, entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah I, I totally am. Yeah. I try to be. <laughs> hopefully it's... hopefully it, it does create a larger avenue to solve bigger problems than mm -hmm. just, you know, within an organization or within my business. It really opens, become an open source. Yeah. Um, avenue. So, so something was, I'm, oh, go ahead. I was just wondering your title and I think that's what it is, problem solving entrepreneur. I like yeah. it, I'm gonna start using it. Perfect. I'm not gonna pay you for it though. Oh. <laughs> It. <laughs> <laughs> it's now public knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I'm curious about, because I'm taking a, um, well, sort of a linear programming class, mm -hmm. um, operations research right now, you know, you talk about it in your speech mm -hmm. to the graduates. How did you kind of go from ExxonMobil, the linear programming, was that ExxonMobil or yeah, was that at Delta? It's okay. actually both. Okay. So I- How did you get into that? So, um- it's interesting that you asked that. I did project management. I started in project management at, at ExxonMobil, partly because I didn't start in process design or, or process engineering because I thought it was too much of a silo. You're Kami, that's where you go. Mm -hmm. You be a process designer or you be a, a, a process um, engineer. But I did project engineering because there were no other chemies oh, really? in, in projects in projects it was civvies and electricals and you know you were building processes and you have to understand metallurgy and piping configuration I was like this is cool stuff you know and um, so when I started there um, they always try to get me back to process design you mm. know because that's kind of where the chemical engineers were and um, after working on a lot of projects um, I got called by a sponsor actually it was the vice uh, president of engineering at the time to go work on an IT project um, and that was to convert a lot of the paper products to electronic forms. Oh, I seem so old now. <laughs> but um, it was huge innovation at the time. Yeah. You know, a lot of microfiche, a lot of old um, paper research documents that needed to be converted and coded and, and changed over into electronic format. And um, the IT, when I moved over to that project, the IT um, infrastructure designer said to me, I don't think you're qualified for this. You, you have no knowledge of IT. You know, why, why are you here? You're a chemical engineer. Why aren't you designing distillation columns? And that I said, you're right. I said, <laughs> I have no idea how to create an IT infrastructure, but I know projects. And, and what IT, what I believe that folks in IT don't do well are projects. Mm. They're doing all these phases, but they never really get to the final phase. And so I said, I know project management, and I can get you this project completed within this time period. And so after I did that project, they're like, well, we can't really bring her back to process design. She's not entry level anymore. But we have this great opportunity over here where we're trying to figure out um, in facilities planning how to get new engineers to do 
um, simulations on, you know, create linear programs to mm -hmm. figure out how to, how to uh, make processes more efficient and get the results we want. And I was like, pick me, pick me, you know? <laughs> um, and so like the donkey and truck. And so, I <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like, well, she's done well in projects and she's been doing well so far. So yeah, let's try her there. And so everybody's like 55 or older in this group and they're about to retire. And so when I went, it was basically take information from the process engineers and the process designers and create these linear programs. And you either do it, um, there, there are many different programs. And one of the one I used at the time was Orion. And you simulate, you know, come up with objective functions and the, the right profitability for such a process. And can you make low sulfur motor gasoline when, you know, regulatory standards aren't even there yet. And so that's kind of how it started. It was, let's try her in this area and see how she does. And that's where I started doing linear programming. And even um, at Delta, um, they had core linear programmers. But what I would do is I would um, evaluate different um, test results from different inspection companies on crude oil mm. and the makeup of crude oil that we were buying. And I would give that information <coughs> on the process of transporting them and how they could be contaminated and what it ended up looking like after it leaves the well and gave that to the linear programming experts. And they can do their simulation and said, well, this is the best profitable crude to buy. So at the time, because of my career had progressed into that executive management status, I was no longer doing the actual simulation. But I understand that you know, no, that that is not the obje that objective function does not make sense. You know, that crude oil does not look like that after going through these many processes. So it, it evolves from that. But, you know, again, starting with the scientific base, um, that's kind of how I got into linear programming. That's cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So one thing that um, you seem pretty central on is at least in the speech that you gave, mm -hmm. is being your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Was this something that you've had for a while that you've known about? Is it something that you've had to kind of look for? And how hard was it to find it? Yeah. Um, I didn't know that's what it was called. Okay. Um, to simply answer your question, I think it's something I had all along. I didn't know I had it. <laughs> okay. You know, I just felt that I was Simoon, I was myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I talked about being your authentic self as, as being beyond just being yourself. It's being yourself skillfully. And the word skillfully is really unique because it speaks to both your skill set and it speaks to your approach in communicating that skill set. Mm. And to me, that's your authentic self is the integrity and what you live by in order to do those very well. And so becoming your authentic self or be, for me, becoming my authentic self was a learning process. Um, I was mentioning when I used to create, you know, cooking oil out of hibiscus leaves at five years old, um, nobody told me that, hey, that's entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. You know, they said, you're good in science. Go study science. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I studied science. But when I was selling it in, you know, in my little make believe shops when I was at that age, nobody told me that was retail. You know, yeah. they basically said, hey, you know, fun stuff to do. That looks cool. Now go study science because you're really good at it. And so it was really for me understanding why did I 
run into these obstacles as I went through my career? Why was I making these decisions? Why after a year and a half of doing um, a job, I was ready for a change? Okay, I have yeah. buttoned it up. Next person can take it. No interest in, in, in mm-hmm. pursuing this. Why did I do you know 12 to 14 jobs in 16 years in one company? Yeah. And it was just trying to understand. And then why did I have these what they call career derailers? So you'll hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you you decided not to go to Singapore for three years. That was a career derailment. You know, but why did I make that decision when it was just so obvious that you would have gotten the highest stipend at age 25? Mm-hmm. You know, you would have been living in this exotic country for three years and and after living there and working between there and Australia for a year and a half, I'm like, I'm ready to go home. You know, I'm an only child. Um, I'm 30. I want to start a family. You know, why would you make those career limiting decisions? But when I looked holistically over my career, I really wanted to understand why I made those decisions because what I realized that they were great decisions to get me where I was, but at the time they didn't feel right, you know, and I didn't have total support. So I decided to do my doctorate. Okay. To go figure out and (laughs) research myself, why did I make, you know, these, how can I brand who I really am Hmm. if I don't understand why I made the positive and the negative decision throughout my life? And so with a lot of personality testing and classes and evaluations and really writing paper about what this means, Hmm. um, and I've done a lot of that in corporate America, but you never really write about what that meant to a lot of the decisions you make. It got me understanding why I made the decision and realized that, oh my God, I've always been an entrepreneur by heart. Mm. I always knew I wanted to use technology to change the world and I just wanted to do it more and more and more. And the other thing in speaking in your truth, um, the other flip side I talk about, and I didn't go in details, but in the speech I mentioned about inclusion and diversity. Mm Right. And that I, you know, being black, being an immigrant from Jamaica, I am the epitome of diversity. But inclusion diversity is so cliche and it's more of, you know, really being in the middle in terms of how do you communicate effectively when you don't like someone who doesn't look like you Mm. and still be productive. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with that earlier in my career. You know, if if I didn't think you knew what you were talking about based on data-driven answers and you didn't look like me and I thought that you were trying to undermine me, that's it. My communication stopped. My, my box went up. And it was like, no, I'll just sit here and listen to you make a fool of yourself and not know what you're talking <laughs> about. And I know that you're wrong. And it, it wasn't a good space because now I see a lot of young folks do that. And it wasn't a good space and I didn't understand at the time that what you were really doing was not learning. You were limiting your realm of understanding. And yes, what you knew probably was the answer, but unless you can get that person over there to get there with you and not force it on them or not give it to them because you don't think they like you or they don't look like you, became a hindrance in terms of what we were able to come up with as a solution. I had to learn that throughout my career. So no, I didn't, you know, at you know, at 11 years old, I said, I want to be my authentic self. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it really was a lifelong journey. Mm. So I know you guys are still in college. You're, you're going to graduate and you're not going to be your authentic self. But hopefully from the speech, you'll understand that it's a journey. Mm. And what I hope the students take away is that 
you will be more conscious yeah. of, of that authentic self and when you need to bring it and try to bring it all the time. Mm. Yeah, consciousness, I think, is the biggest thing that I like to think about because mm-hmm. it's, it's at least the first step. So yeah. a little bit about me. I'll be graduating in the spring mm-hmm. at 20. And mm-hmm. it's only because barely twenty, barely twenty. <laughs> yeah, he I'm, turns twenty awesome. and six. Yeah, well, it's it's really only because I was super impatient with myself. Right. So freshman year, I got here and I felt like I had like a bunch to prove. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, as an E and M student, being told, you know, you're half engineer, half business. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not a real anything. <laughs> and um, you know, I was I was young to begin with, and so. Um, from Connecticut was the only one in my dorm from Connecticut. So it was just like in a lot of different ways was just kind of like put to the side, mm-hmm. um, wait listed in the honors program. I ended up getting in, but that was a little chip on my shoulder as well. Why would they ever wait list you? That's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. And, and at the end of the day, I ended up, I ended up, uh, dropping honors to graduate early anyways, because mm-hmm. I was very impatient, but basically, you know, it took me getting through freshman year. And even half a sophomore year, it took a lot of introspection. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, yoga, meditation, counseling, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was hard. But, you know, looking back now, I can do the same thing. I can track back in high school, you know, whenever there wasn't something that I thought needed to exist, mm-hmm. I'm going to start it. The podcast was something where, yeah. you know, Nick, Nick and I were like, you know, we want to do a podcast. Now and, you came up to me one day and you're like, me and Jason, I just had a great idea. And out of nowhere, actually, he was walking to go and pitch it to his boss, and I just happened to be in the hallway, and he came up to me. He's like, I came up with this brilliant idea. I'm about to go tell her, do you want to do it with me? And then so, he started and, and it's it's one of those things where, like, now, you know, done with this semester, last final this morning, and, you know, I have one semester left, and it's mm-hmm. I'm looking back, and I'm just telling Nick this morning, I was getting all emotional that, you know, it's, it's almost <laughs> over. And like I had all this rush and, and for yeah. what? And yeah. so yeah. now it's easy to look back and be like, oh, that's why I did that. It's interesting you say that the word, the key word you use is introspection. Mm. And um, if, if everyone can do this, I think it would be helpful. What I did in 2010, um, I started in 2007, my son was born. And I actually ended up working from home after that just to try and get the work-life balance a little bit. And ExxonMobil afforded me that, which I was super grateful That's about. That's great, yeah. Um, but within that time period, you know, I was like, well, what's the next job? And I thought I was going to go back to the Marine Organization. Um, I've learned so much. I was so effective. Um, and so they came back and they said, no, we want you to go to aviation. And I was sort of <clears throat> miffed. I was like, what do you mean? You know, I was just getting into the swing of things, just came back from my, you know, my um, my cruise on a crude oil tanker <laughs> up to Alaska. <laughs> and now I know ships in and out. You know, I'm ready to run with this. You're a real sailor. I'm a real <laughs> sailor. You know, I'm a salty dog, as, as my mar- mariners would put it. And so I was ready to go and ready to really build out this organization. And they're like, no, you know, aviation needs someone like you. And... And so I was sort of mad, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? What did I do wrong? Mm. And so I started writing a book of why I got mad at the number one company in America. Interesting. Oh. And I just started writing and I just started typing. And, you know, I would go through all from when I started and why I went there. And I wrote this this book I have yet to publish. And um, But what it did, I always go back to it. And I actually had to reread the book 
to remember some of the stuff to talk about when I when I when I'm here at Clarkson, and I said it was introspection. It was me documenting why were you mad here and what did you learn. Yeah. And if anything, um, students that are going into corporate America that are going to start their business, you are at a rush. You are at that impatient stage yeah. where I have to knock out all these things. There is no time for introspection. <laughs> <laughs> the real introspection to understand and bring out your authentic self, right? And I think that was part of my journey, which tied into my, my end up doing my doctorate in understanding, is that created a mode for me to look back and reflect and look at all the decisions I made and all the interactions I had. How were they bad? How were they good? Why did I do this? What could I have done differently? How would I tell my children how to handle this better? And um, it's introspection, it's reflection. And once you grasp that, you know who you are. Yeah. You know how people are going to react to you before they react to you. Yeah. Um, you don't have to totally prepare for th- I didn't prepare for this podcast. I, like, I have no idea what they're going to ask. <laughs> but I'm going to be my authentic self. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, that's all I have to give at the end of the day. Um, so introspection is very, very, very important. And yes, um, I was impatient like you. Yeah. I started high school at 10 at yeah. age 10 wow. because I, wow. I, I'm from Jamaica and you know if you're super smart they're yeah. like go for it just keep just yeah. keep going that's crazy and so my daughter who's nine Chaya she boasts you know my modern mother started at <laughs> high school at, at when she was 10 but um, you know here it's 7th grade but yeah. there it's high school and it's still, that's maybe still that marks really a young. problem with the U.S. education system. It's, they won't let you excel. Different. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I was impatient. I was always impatient because, you know, it's like, okay, I've done a job for a year and a half. Now it's time to move on. <laughs> They're like, whoa, 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 we're not ready yet. But that impatience is drive and it frustrates other people at times. Mm. Um, but it really keeps you moving forward. Yeah. And it's okay that people get a little frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay because I think... If you can continue that introspection, Mm. you are able to dampen that frustration by communication and say, this is why I'm I'm thinking, this is why I think this. And you may get a mentor or a sponsor that says, I know that's where you want to be because I've had those conversations and I know that's what you want to do next. But let's be over here because here's the need. Here's the mm. business need. And that's where that, that impatience, you know, with whatever you do, yeah. whatever you start, you start your own radio company and, you know, I come again and talk to you guys. <laughs> well, whatever it is, you'll realize that um, there are certain things that are going to take you off that path that you want to go. But if you learn from it, mm. it will put you on a further path. See, that's what I'm addicted to, though. So <laughs> I actually I did start a company when I was a freshman um, that's still going now, cross my fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, I mean, the biggest thing that, that you know, keeps me going is getting knocked down. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. Like, when someone tells me no or tells me, you know, that's not possible, mm-hmm. figuring out a way to either make that happen or the next best thing mm-hmm. or, or learning that, okay, if they're telling me no, let me listen to that right. and let me figure out, okay, so if that's not the way, then what is the way? Right. And learning from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the amount of lessons that I've learned from this company that I started with, um, a friend from Honors actually, uh, is incredible. And it's something that I, w- I would never give back. And it's something where like, it's hard when you have, you know, three exams in a week and you're also dealing with, you know, suppliers in Missouri that, you know, aren't responding to your calls and they have yeah. $12,000 worth of inventory, which will make or break yes. your company. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, these are all things that like, you know, it's hard, but week. I wouldn't give it up. 
I remember that week. Yeah, that was not a fun <laughs> week. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's the same vein when someone says, you know, you've done so well at you know these corporations, mm. and now you're gonna become a starving entrepreneur. <laughs> you know. And, yeah. What and, was like that? What was that like? It's <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, how Is would that, you make that transition? Go ahead. Did that relate to what you talked about earlier? The skincare thing you said with boiling down the leaves i'm sorry i didn't yeah well you know so i own melanina yeah, um, skincare. skincare company and actually um started that back in 2014 mm-hmm. and um i didn't start it as a company you know it was i saw the need to create a product that would help kids with eczema beyond their skin type Okay. And so a lot of the products, my, my daughter, I'm a topic, which is atopic dermatitis, and I have asthma, and I do have some eczema, but my daughter had really bad eczema mm-hmm. as a baby. And so I would use the products and the natural products that were on the market, and some of those, most of those products would work for a short period of time, but because of the melanin in her skin, you know, her pretty brown skin causes her skin to dry out mm. so quickly. And so I was like, well, can we make a product for all levels of melanin in everyone's skin because everybody has melanin no matter how light their skin is or how dark their skin is it's just more melanin than than others and to me it's such a reactive um chemical um or cell be be beyond your you know topical layer of your skin that you have to really create something to address that and so although those products work they would dry out our skin so i said okay now i have to come up with something that's moisturizing as well as effective and so um i started formulating products only which is kind of that challenge right only because her pediatrician said we've tried everything go use crisco if you don't want to use steroids go use crisco and i said no okay and i went (laughs) home and i got a tub of crisco and i rubbed it on my daughter's skin and i sat there and watched that just sat on her skin and did nothing Nothing. it was just greasy right and so i said i don't think crisco's gonna work (laughs) so i said you know what worked at procter gamble had a lot of formulation experience when i um helped with the part here caroline and so i said I think I can mix the stuff up. Mm. And so I started researching and, you know, part of me being in research for, for a while. And I came up with a formula that seemed to work perfect on her skin. It wasn't greasy. It, you know, cleared up her rashes in three days. I was like, this is perfect. So, um, I started using, and everybody would be like, her skin's so beautiful. I was like, no, she has eczema. They're like, there's no way she has eczema. And I, she's there like, what do you use? And I was like, oh, I just make her products. And they're like, we have to have it. Well, this stuff is expensive because then it was all organic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And because it was my baby, I got it clinically trialed because I went by dermatologist and I wanted to make sure that it was safe for her. And so it was personal for me. Mm. So they're like, what? It's tested by dermatologists. It's tested in a lab. It's clinically trialed. You have human repeat patch test on it. It has to be safe for us. I was like, well, you're going to have to pay me because this thing costs money. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to almost figure out how yeah. to start a business. You know, mm. oh, I got to be incorporated, got to get a registration, all of that. Whole bunch and of kind of that's how the skincare company. And then her cousin came and she really had it worse than my cousin. And so I made a body wash to help so she can stop using the soaps and other things that other external things that mm. was affecting it. And so the company product line started growing. I just start, started formulating more and more products around that wow. that concept. And so I, 
I had the company 2014 to get back to how I transitioned, um, but I was a hybrid, right? So yeah. I was in corporate America, really demanding jobs, and here I would feel this business trying to get it into stores and building websites and yep. running a company, yep. you know, working with, with suppliers and things like that. And so I realized that um, it was always my love. That was my comfort zone. When I had a really hard day at work, I would come and I would tinker in the lab and I would create something new or I would try to figure out something different or I would try to how to get it in different types of stores. And, and so it was a hybrid business for five years. And then um, there was some transitioning going on in my life and, and, and at Delta at the time. And I said, well, you know what? Um, there's another word for being an entrepreneur and that's being unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so I said, guess what world I'm going to live in right now? Because yeah. it not only evolved from the skincare, then my daughter started writing books. And then we started saying, well, how can we marry the two businesses? And I was like, this is becoming a beast. I need the time to spend on it. I need the time to develop it as a company. And tame the beast. Here we are trying yeah. to tame the beast. <laughs> So do you have a lab in your house? I do. And you my do. daughter wow. just explained it. That, my daughter was cool. just telling Ashley about it in the Innovation Center. Yeah. And she says, my mom has a lab and I would <laughs> help her make this. And so that's kind of where my formulation happens in my lab, in my home, because turn on my music. I'm in Zen. My daughter is on the floor making her stuff. You know, I'm in the hood trying to formulate. And that's kind of where my creative space is. Oh, you have your own is. hood too? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. yeah. Because I'm asthmatic. Yeah. And mm. one of the things I learned working in the refinery and lab is my lungs is the weakest part of my body. And so I have to protect it. And so, yeah, we have the hood going. And, That's a full and, operation. And, yeah, that is <laughs> That's really operation. cool, actually. Uh, yeah, to, to create. And we, I worked with, you know, one of the key things about the products and why they're so effective are the essential oils. We do mm. not use perfumes in our products. And, again, it's for babies and for sensitive skin. So we yeah. don't want to introduce any higher level chemicals than we have to <clears throat> other than to preserve the product. And so we use essential oils, and they're high evaporating yeah. um, oils. And so if I don't wear a mask or a hood, I just get this really asthmatic blow up. Mm. So yes, everything's going. The hood, the, the hood is loud. The music is loud, and <laughs> my daughter is just doing her thing, and I'm doing mine. So it's, it's a really great creative space. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Mm -hmm. So is that where everything's produced, or is that just the R and D facility? Do that's you have? the R and D. Okay. And so depending on who the vendor is, mm. so my bigger um, store um, customers, um, I work with a. Um, Private label. Co-manufacturer, okay. yeah, to get those bigger orders out. For the smaller ones, local markets, mm. I can pretty, pretty much meet those demands um, nice. locally because I've made the part of, you know, being a logistics expert is creating mm. an efficiency yeah. in your processes. So I can be able to meet local demands, but for bigger demands, it's a co-manufacturer. Yeah. Is, so, is there anywhere national or global that you sell this product to? No, we're actually trying to, um, well, I, I say no. Because it sounds like everybody might need this. Yeah. So um, on a business-to-customer basis in Jamaica, right? Cause, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's my home. Yeah. So we've, we've sold a lot of the products in Jamaica. We haven't had them widespread in stores as we'd like to yet. And a lot of the hindrance is... I'm formulating, reformulating some of the products to meet the climatic differences. Mm -hmm. So my products are very natural. Mm -hmm. Um and you need high level of preservative for um, to keep it in phase. And I don't put a lot of high level preservatives yeah, in my product. That's what you're product. trying to avoid. And, but in the warmer climate, it will separate, mm -hmm. you know. And so I had an order to Dubai, um, you know, a month ago. 
And so one of my, you know, I was running around with, with suppliers like, how do I get freezer bags? to mail this product to Dubai because once it hits yeah. <laughs> the yeah. desert, forget it, you're yeah, basically putting oils on your skin <laughs> with a little bit of emulsion of water somewhere, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> and so that was my new challenge. When I got the order, I was like, ooh, the temperature. And I started researching. Um, yeah. I either reformulate the product or I figure out a new container yeah. to make yeah. sure that it Insulated. stays in phase. Yeah. And so you ask me, are there mm -hmm. there are pockets of it, but not as widespread mm -hmm. as I want to get. Well, good thing you're <laughs> a problem-solving entrepreneur. <laughs> 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 wow, I think that's all I have. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we can edit this part out so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, I guess you know this. I think is great the the podcast and and that Clarkson has. Um, as my transition happened, and it's, it, I said that science is the base, right? So I transitioned out of engineering and um, the science base, and now I'm dealing with animation companies, and I'm dealing with, you know, 4D simula simulation, creating storyboards, and, you know, trying mm -hmm. to c problem solve, trying to come up with the best way to showcase some of our products. Um, how do you think Clarkson can continue to foster students to start these different um and it's you know company but avenues hmm. for students like you not only to foster starting your business but for you guys to collaborate you're very different in your personalities and styles and i have mm -hmm. two children that are like that by yeah. the way <laughs> uh, which makes for a great marriage or just a big fight yeah. um, but how do you how what did how did you guys see this opportunity and even think that clarkson would have been accepting to create something like this I'm not gonna suck up to the people that are paying my bills, but uh, Ignite, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ignite, the people who run this podcast or how they've given us this podcast, they have just the last two years started this initiative where they're trying to get students to make and create and think differently and- And think collaboratively. And think collab collab <laughs> collaboratively. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when they saw us come up, we were one of the first projects that they saw come to them mm -hmm. and they were like, started up. They just are ready to give students, yeah. if they have an idea, they're ready to support them to the fullest extent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Clarkson's doing. Well, Aaron Draper, who's um, the managing director and my biggest mentor since being here, she's, I can see her rolling her eyes right now, but. <laughs> um, if she even listens to these, come on. She <laughs> Trust me, she does. Um, but the thing was, I, you know, when I thought of the podcast, it was basically like, I'm a really busy person. I'm interested in a lot of different things. You know, inevitably, when there was someone awesome like you or another alumni who would come up and speak, I had an exam or I had meetings to mm -hmm. go to. I was I couldn't go to it, mm -hmm. and I was really mad because mm -hmm. you know. I like to learn new things. I love other podcasts. I listen to Joe Rogan, you know, religiously, and I just like to do and learn new things. Like every day I want to learn something new. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being too busy to actually go to these events and hear these one-time speakers, um, you know, was frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to come up with a way for on-demand content, and that was right when I started listening to podcasts. And so I was mm -hmm. like, let's make our own. We have these really cool people. They come up a lot. You know, there's a lot of awesome professors that no one knows about that are doing, you know, crazy research. And, you know, we've had some of those this season on the first the first season um, in the second season. So that's where it came from. And then really the challenge was just getting Aaron to say yes. 
and I said pretty please a bunch of times. Yeah, she said no. We were really bad. Like well, we, we were, were terrible. We were, last year was I, my parents didn't even like it. That's how bad it was. <laughs> they wouldn't even pretend to like it. But basically, I just I had to keep making the business case that you know the on-demand content was something that was needed, and yeah. we've had over 500 listens in the first season. That's great. Uh, with no, which is basically with no, no marketing. Yeah, no I mean, marketing. we had them put it on Facebook every yeah. once in a while, and that was about it. And so, you know, it was, I don't like to give up. And so that's yeah. that's really what it's about. And it's about finding students who do that. And there are a lot of those at Clarkson. Which There's is, a lot yeah. of stubborn mm-hmm. people. Which is what was my next question is, mm. you know, I think one of the key things in entrepreneurship and growing a business is, now what happens beyond you, right? So you guys can leaving a mark, yeah. And not no. So it's beyond leaving a mark. It is how do you continue? How does this podcast continue to be super successful without the founders? Mm-hmm. Because the energy that you guys bring is mm-hmm. part of this is our baby. We, you know, yeah. we came up with this idea and it's worked. I can't believe it. And we've left our mark. But how do you sustain that growth? How do you recruit the right people when you leave to continue this amazing um, podcast that you've yeah. started and build a system, a long-lasting system mm. that will have a generations to come of yeah. Clarkson University yeah. podcast leads? It's it, crazy because we're literally doing, doing that, that right, right now. now. Yeah, okay. I um, In high school, I started a Relay for Life team with a bunch of other friends um, because a classmate had cancer. And we raised a bunch of money and it was really successful. And I had an amazing time with it. I'm still involved with Clark's uh, Colleges Against Cancer here. But I tried to do that. I tried to set it up so that it would stay there because, mm-hmm. you know, we had 40 students from four, uh, from all classes at the high school. Right. And, um, you know, I thought just have a new team captain come in and set up a system of bylaws and they would be able to continue it on. It's still there, but it's not anything like what it was. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so like I'm walking into this that we're doing right now, you know, with me graduating in May, we're Mm -hmm. hiring someone. We're recording this for people who are listening, recording this uh, in December, but it will launch January. So we're hiring someone right now Mm -hmm. um, and we're going through the process. And really what we're looking for is because we didn't know anything, we can teach them the recording stuff. We can teach them how to, you know, do the editing and, you know, the core basics of, you know, how do we how do we kind of like operate the podcast? But the enthusiasm, mm-hmm. the personality—that's mm-hmm. what we're—that's what we're yeah. trying to find, and that's—it's right. not an easy interviewing thing. for personality is not easy. You have to <laughs> kind of get to know them, maybe multiple interviews, have some coffee with them. Right. It's hard. You know, I mean, make them. Do I bet you understand that because owning a new company, you're gonna yeah. have to eventually hire someone right. to help you out, and right. you gotta trust them. And I've, you know, it's funny because that's been the key is finding the right people. Mm-hmm. I've had many contract workers Mm -hmm. you know contract businesses um and you find that a lot of small business will do that not only for cash flow purposes but also to really feel out the individual to say is this the right person for the business and um that can take longer than you think um to really because you may think wow this person is really the right fit and then they say you're like that's not what i intended (laughs) and part of that is really letting go of yeah. what you intend to what mm. it evolves in. So I, I just think think it's interesting. And one last question is, since part of why, you know, my messaging here at Clarkson is to be your authentic self, I will ask both of you, mm. what do you consider to be your authentic self? This could be the listener mail question. 
It'd be a long listener mail question. <laughs> Nick, do you want to go first? Oh, no. I'm going to think about it for a second. All right. <laughs> so my authentic self, I think, is, it's like I said, it's being a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. It's looking for ways for self-improvement. Um, I think, you know, being here at Clarkson and doing it in three years has taught me a lot about my limitations, about me being someone who um, loves to get my hands dirty in a lot of different things, but learning that that's not always possible, mm-hmm. right? There is a limitation and it's called time and it's called taking care of yourself and making sure that you're sleeping. Um, and so I think that, you know, the main thing was learning my limits and, and being able to be honest with myself. And I think when I'm honest with myself, as long as I learn something new, I can admit that I'm wrong and that I can make tomorrow better than today. Mm-hmm. That's being my authentic self. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. My authentic self is uh, I like to have fun. Um, maybe that and uh, when I find something that truly interests me, uh, that's what I think I'm going to go in life. Like I've seen myself maybe um, starting this business idea I had about selling uh, – this is new. Selling kelp. So, selling kelp. <laughs> so in Massachusetts, you can. there's a very lucrative thing of mm-hmm. selling kelp because it's going to be the new superfood. I'm telling you, it's going to be the next yeah. avocado. And it's just something I'm, I'm passionate about, maybe doing something like that, changing the world, something I'm interested in. And I think that that's my authentic self, chasing things that I'm truly interested in. And that's kind of hard at Clarkson because, I mean, I love Clarkson, but a lot of times you study things that – may not interest you you're just learning it so you can learn something else and you don't really get to the meat and the bones until like right now where I am second semester junior year where you get to really learn the things that you find important like project management and stuff Mm -hmm. like that yeah yeah I think that's I do see you doing kelp that is your kelp, authentic big self. Big kelp farm guy. Well, I just think, you know, you're very <laughs> kelp like... Kelp is your authentic self. It is. Kelp is. It I is. am you're kelp. You're just, you're very... <laughs> I love Nick because he's so different. Yeah. And kelp is different. Kelp so I is, see that. It's going to be a superfood. I'm telling you guys. Give all it right. 10 years. I will I give it 10 you. years. I will be the first buyer. I'm going to be the first person to grow kelp on the moon. All right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good. Thank you, Samoon. No worries. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening. That is all we have for this week. One quick note before we finish up. Uh, exciting news. We are now approved for an episode every week for this semester. If you can handle it. If you can handle it. We're here to do it. So um, it's about every week. We won't have one over February break or spring break or finals week. But other than that, we have 12 episodes planned for you guys this semester. We are very excited for it. And uh, stay on the lookout for dates and releases. Mm. Mm. And as always, I'm Matt. And I'm Nick. Smell you later. <laughs>